0: If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to do things a little different this morning. I typically will take a passage and just walk through it. We have been going through the book of Luke. Um, but this morning I, I want to kind of look at the the Christmas story as a whole, both in Luke 1 and 2. and We also have um, pictures of it in, in Matthew uh, 1 and 2. And so um, we're going to look at all of these passages together. Uh, We're not going to read all of them, and we're not going to think on everything there, but the story is familiar to us, and so I just want to point out some things to help us think about them. Because Christmas has this way of sneaking up on us, you know before you know it all of a sudden it 's december twenty fifth and we 're wondering how this whole month has slipped by, and uh, our minds are are filled with so many things that we need to do or places that we need to go that we neglect to to take a step back and to think about the coming of jesus um, and that 's frustrating because we want to do that, and so we kind of feel like um like Charlie Brown in the Charlie Brown Christmas, you remember that where he says. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? You remember that, where he shouts that out, and then Linus comes up and says, Sure, I do, Charlie Brown, and he reads the Christmas story. So I want to be Linus this morning. Um, I feel like in some part my responsibility as, as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, is to, is to call us on this Christmas Sunday to just sort of pause and stare into the, the miracle of what Christmas is, um, to take a moment to reflect on Jesus coming into the world. So my goal isn't to say anything particularly new, uh, because I don't think that's the purpose of, of Christmas. It's not to manufacture some sort of, of new truth. The, the purpose of Christmas is just to remember the old, wonderful, glorious truth that we remember every single year, year after year. We're, we're supposed to take a step back and, and stare into the miracle of God becoming man. So I'm not going to say anything new or earth-shattering. But I just want to look broadly at, at Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, and I want to give you five ways of thinking, of, of meditating. Maybe we could say that five different angles to look at Christmas from so that together we can kind of behold uh, the wonder of Jesus coming to earth to be our Savior. So we're going to read much of this tonight. I invite you to come back tonight. Um, but my hope this morning is to just sort of jumpstart some Christmas reflections. And so I'm going to give you five points, and today is December 21st, so I want to give you five ideas for the next five days. So if you've had trouble thinking about Christmas and meditating on, on what Jesus has done, here's here's five thoughts, so one for today and then four more for for the next four days, including Christmas Day, just to... To think because I, I think sometimes I want to meditate on Christmas, and i don 't even know what to think about, <laughs> so I, I want to help you in that way. I want to help myself in that way so th- the first thing I want us to think about here for this day is I want to encourage us that we would take time to ponder the beauty of the incarnation, take time to ponder the beauty of the incarnation and we're taking our cue from from Mary, uh, the mother of jesus we're told in in luke two nineteen it says, When all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She holds them all in her heart and thinks about them. And we see that same phrase later on in Luke chapter 2. After they had gone to the temple, Jesus is now 12 years old. Um, they, they, they're there, and, and the whole family goes to Jerusalem. And while they're there, Mary and Joseph lose track of Jesus Um, And three days later, they come to the temple, and they find him, and he's there um, with the teachers. and, And he's asking them questions and listening to them, and his parents are amazed. And Jesus has this response of, you know, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And so this whole confusing thing, and it says at the end there in verse 51, and his mother, Mary, treasured up all these things in her heart. So she's, she's holding all these things in her heart. The phrase is also in, in Luke 1.66. And in response to the birth of John the Baptist and, and Zechariah, his father, naming him John, and all this is going on, and it says um, that in verse 66 of Luke 1, And all who heard these things laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So, so all of these things that are happening around the first advent, the first coming of, of Jesus, it's causing people to, to pause and to think. What's going on? God is doing something unique and amazing here. We need to pause, treasure these things, and, and ponder them. For, for Mary, can you imagine this? The, the beauty of the gospel is, is, is unfolding before her. In fact, it's, it's unfolding in her very body. She is watching the salvation of God grow. And and then she's holding the salvation of God in her arms. She's nursing Jesus. She takes Him to the temple. And, And through all of this, she keeps pausing and she's trying, as it were, to hold all these things close. She's trying to soak in the beauty of what God is doing in this incarnation. I think beauty is the right word that 's the word I want to use because there is something amazing about what happens at christmas the, the, all the darkness and light that come together, all the sorrow and the joy the pain and, and the comfort that there's something that's that's amazing that's going on all as all these things coalesce together if you 've been here at all, you know that sometimes when i 'm preaching I'm moved to to tears. It happens somewhat often, and it still could happen this morning, just fair warning. Um, and it's not usually because I'm sad. I, it, it's, it's often because of, of beauty. There's just such beauty in what the gospel is. I was sitting at, at Synergoss, a local coffee shop, and up on the board they had a quote. <clears throat> this is probably the first time this man has ever been quoted in a sermon, but it's from a TV character named Ron Swanson. <laughs> He's sort of a man's man of sorts. And up on the board, there was this quote, and it said, crying, acceptable at funerals and the Grand Canyon. I thought that was funny. But but there's something unique about that. I, I think he's, he's he's catching on to say, at funerals, why do you cry? Because you're sad. At, at the Grand Canyon, why do you cry? It's because th- there's something so mind-blowing that, that your heart and your mind can't fully take in the beauty of it all. And it just sort of overflows in tears. I think that's, that's what happens, tears of joy, or maybe even tears of at the beauty of what we, we see. And this is the beauty of the incarnation that, that's in the gospel. It, it's, it's so wide, it's so deep that we just have to stop and, and ponder it. We have to turn it over and over in our, in our minds. And, it, and we can come back to this every year. Year after year. And it's always amazing. It's always beautiful. We can always be blown away by it. So I I want to invite you with me. Let's, Let's pause along with Mary and ponder all the beauty of the incarnation. So consider things like the patriarchs. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who who wandered throughout their lives and they were given this this promise they're looking for a better country they're they're looking for the promises of God to be fully realized and all those promises of the patriarchs are fully realized on Christmas morning when Jesus shows up they they begin this process think about the the prophets these prophets who spoke, and they spoke in, in shadows and in, and in pictures, and then they spoke in clear proclamations and predictions about the Messiah. They talked about this one who's going to be born in Bethlehem. They, they talked about him being born of a virgin. They talked about him being born in obscurity. They talked about him being rejected by the world that he had created. And, and they talked about this, and they didn't understand it all. And then all of a sudden, in this moment of clarity, at, at Christmas, it, it sort of explodes and starts to take form. Think about the children of Israel. The children of Israel, in this, they go through this cycle in the Old Testament, if you read through it, of, of triumph and tragedy. There's ups and downs. There's good and there's bad. There's, there's Joshua and there's judges. You know, It's just happening all over the place. And it's culminated in part in this moment where they are exiled. They, they're taken out of the land of the promise, and then they're brought back in, but they come back in, and they're being ruled over by the Romans right now in this moment when Jesus is coming in. And they're sitting there under Roman rule in the land that's supposed to be theirs. And for 400 years, they've had no prophet, no word from God, no message from God. And they're probably wondering, has God forsaken us? They're wondering if God's word will ever come to them again. And in the midst of that, we can think about the angels, right? So the angels show up in Matthew and in Luke 1 and 2. Angel after angel appears to Zechariah, to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds, and they all break that silence and they all announce that God's salvation has come, that the, the word of God is arriving in flesh. And he's showing up into this little family. We can think about Joseph. Joseph so so humble, so obedient, so willing to serve in whatever way he can. We can think about Mary. She's such a picture of faith. She willingly submits to all that God asks of her. She responds to the announcement of Gabriel. That, that, she would, that, that, that Gabriel says, you're going to become pregnant with the promised deliverer. And in humble trust, she says, okay, how's that going to happen since I'm a virgin? She just humbly asks this question. And then we read in Luke 1, 35, the angel's response. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And So so we ponder the, this, this beautiful truth, this, this incomprehensible mystery, that, that somehow in the womb of Mary, Jesus is going to grow and He's going to be born, and this child is going to be God and man. And we just look at that, and we just mull over it a little bit. And then the gospel starts to, to, to take shape. We start to see what God is doing here. And, and it shows up in Luke 2 as, as Simeon. They bring eight-day-old baby Jesus to the temple. And Simeon is there. And Simeon is, has been promised that he will see the Messiah before he dies. And Mary and Joseph come in with little eight-day-old baby Jesus. And it's revealed to him in that moment, this is the child. This is the one that you have been waiting for. This is the deliverer. And he he exalts in Luke 2, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then in the same scene, Anna shows up. Anna, an 84-year-old prophetess. Just picture Anna there in the temple day after day. And in that moment, she begins to thank God and to speak of the redemption of Israel. These last of the Old Testament prophets, of, of the Old Covenant prophets, are speaking and they're proclaiming, The Savior has, has come. He's glory for your people, Israel. He's a revelation. He's a light to the Gentiles. We move beyond this. We start to ponder the life of Jesus. We think about his, his perfect life. We think about the beauty of His obedience to the Father. Obedience even to the point of, of death. Because this, this child in the manger is headed for Jerusalem like we saw last week. He's going to Jerusalem where He's going to be mocked. He's going to be beaten. And in the ugliest and yet the most beautiful moment in all of human history, the light of the world is snuffed out by humanity. And in that moment, he, he purchases salvation and he rises from the grave. This is, this is the beauty of, of Christmas. It's all of these things, the, the prophets and the patriarchs and, and this little family in Bethlehem and, and all these, these people who are waiting for the Messiah and, and the beauty of the life that's going to come and what he is born, he's born to, to die, all of that comes together. And we just we have to stop and we have to ponder this. So pause today. Pause and, and think about the incomprehensible beauty of the incarnation. Try to comprehend the incomprehensible. And then maybe we, we are moved to rejoicing, or maybe we're moved to, to tears by the wonder of this, this amazing news. So today, take time to ponder the beauty of the incarnation. <laughs> but but just as the beauty of stars are they're enhanced by the the darkness of the night, right? They, they look brighter in the night sky. I think our reflections of Christmas will be more brilliant if, if tomorrow, so the 22nd, if you will, we take time to stare into the darkness of the world that Jesus enters. So stare into the darkness of the world Jesus enters. I, I read Jude, a Christmas story recently. Uh, it was the other night. And it was complete with, with kittens and puppies present around the manger. Um, which is fine, I guess, for a children's story. Uh, but, but in the midst of, of Christmas, we're often given these, these pictures of, of the stable and the manger. They're sort of soaked in hand sanitizer, you know what I mean? They're, they're squeaky clean. And, and we need to take a step back and remember that Jesus is born into a world that rejects him right from the very beginning. I mean, you look at Luke 2.7. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Mary gives birth in the open air to the Son of God and lays the Son of God in a feeding trough because no one would let them into their home. I mean, this is the world that Jesus is born into. This is not... It's... It is beautiful and yet it is also extremely dark to think about the way that the world is rejecting Jesus coming into the world. Sometime later the, the wise men come from the east, right? They they come to worship Jesus. They they declare that he's the king of the Jews, and they tell this to, to King Herod. And King Herod is not excited because another king means it's a threat to his kingship. And so Herod says, well, let me know when you find him so I can come and worship too. But then it's revealed to them in a dream that they should not go and tell Herod because that would be a bad idea. And Herod catches wind that they didn't tell him that they had found him. And so he goes to extreme measures. And this is what it says in Matthew two, sixteen to 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Jesus, of course, is is taken out through a vision that that was given to, to Joseph, that they should flee to Egypt. But think about this, that Herod is so angry, and, and the world is is so rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, as the King, that he is willing to kill every child two years old and under in that region. Imagine what that would be like. This man sending troops to go and to kill babies. So from the beginning, Jesus is rejected by a sinful world. And we see the sinfulness and the evil of the world that that Jesus enters into. And our world is still dark, isn't it? I mean, it hasn't gotten any brighter. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. In the second verse he says, and in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He says, How can we sing this song? How can we talk about Jesus coming and bringing peace on earth in this world? There's natural disasters and there's human evil everywhere. And Jesus is still rejected throughout the world, his followers are still persecuted. And they're not persecuted just because someone says Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. They're persecuted to the point of death, right? In the world that we live in, people will be killed probably this year for celebrating Christmas in the way that we are right now. There's darkness in our city. The darkness of abuse in all its form. There's there's the darkness of broken families. The darkness of homelessness and hunger. There's darkness in our world. We see it in, in racism. We see it... In murder, we see it in terrorism. People, ultimately, the greatest darkness is that people are lost in darkness, enslaved in sin, under the penalty and the condemnation of sin. So why at Christmas time am I telling you all this? Why, Why would we pause and stare into darkness? Why would we look at the darkness of the world four days before Christmas? I think to remind us that the presence of Jesus as the light of the world is as badly needed today as it was then. That the world has not grown brighter. It is just as dark. And men and women are still lost and dead in sins, enslaved to Satan and in need of a Savior. And if Jesus had not come, then you and I who believe in Him, who have put our faith in Him for salvation, we would still be in darkness. We would be under the penalty of death. Our way would be of. We would be in a place of complete rejection by God and darkness. And so we need to stare into that darkness and realize why we need Jesus to show up. So stare into the darkness of the world that Jesus came into and that he still is seeking to come into. Stare into the darkness even of our own hearts and realize we need this. We need the light of the world. We need Jesus. But the beauty is that. that, that the message of Jesus shines bright in dark places, doesn't it? Sometimes when it's really dark, just a little bit of light looks extremely bright. And Jesus is the light of the world. So we stare into the darkness of the world, but then but then we listen third to, to the message of Gabriel to Mary. The third thing I want us to think about is that we should be reminded that nothing is impossible with God. So if the darkness seems so dark that nothing can change it, then be reminded that nothing is impossible with God. Uh, we see this in Luke 1. I know you're just going back and forth between Luke 1 and 2, but Luke one thirty five we read. Let's read the whole paragraph there. The angel answered Mary and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and is in the sixth month with her, with, with her who was called barren. For... Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's amazing that this phrase, for nothing will be impossible with God, it takes us back to, to Sarah in the Old Testament with, with Abraham who, who was was 90 years old and God said, You will have a baby. And she said, That's not going to happen. And, and Jesus says to her, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And and here Mary, who is a virgin and young, is told, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is impossible for God. We need to be reminded of that. If God can send His Son, if He can send the second person of the Trinity who is fully God, and cause Him to become a human child without losing any of His deity, without losing any of His, His Godness, then He can do anything. You name it. Other than sinning, nothing is impossible for God to do. Jesus has, has come, and impossibly, he, he makes it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be made right with God. He, he does the impossible in that he dies. God himself dies. And, and then impossibly, he takes the sins of the whole world upon himself, and pays the penalty of death that is due to us because of our sin. And then, impossibly, he, he rises from the dead and gives us new life. And all of these impossibilities are actually possible because the impossibility of God becoming man and being born of a virgin was actually possible because nothing is impossible with God. So the fact that God does the impossible in sending Jesus to be born as a baby makes everything else possible. Christmas, in many ways, is is sort of the fountainhead of all of God's miracles. It reminds us that not only has God accomplished our salvation, but everything else is, is possible for him. So this is a time of year also where we reflect on the past year. We reflect on 2014 and we look forward to 2015. And I think we should be reminded as we look into the new year that nothing is impossible with God. And we should, we should dream big and think big for how God can use us as individuals, how God can use our church, how God can change our world, how he can bring light into darkness in our neighborhood and in our nation and in our world. We need to think big and pray big because nothing is impossible for God. And we can stare into the darkness, and we can sing the third verse of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. So after he's in despair, what does Longfellow write? Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. Nothing is impossible for God. No matter how dark it is, the light of the world, Jesus can bring light into dark places. And our response is then like Mary, we're filled with faith. A faith that submits and says, God, let it be to me according to your word. We we let you do whatever you want with us, God. We trust that all things are possible for you. So, that's the 23rd that we would think about, that we would remember that nothing is impossible with God. So now it's Christmas Eve, right? Time to think about... Uh, Christmas Eve, this is a day that some people like more than Christmas. I love Christmas Eve. Uh, It's this day of anticipation. It's a day where where you can hardly fall asleep because you're so excited about the next day. And so on Christmas Eve, here's the thought. Let Christmas be unsatisfying. (laughs) Let Christmas be unsatisfying. Don't be satisfied with Christmas on Christmas Eve. So don't get me wrong, I love Christmas. I mean, I, I, I will rejoice as best I can in the gift of what Christmas is. I will give gifts, I will eat cookies, I will watch Christmas movies, I will drink eggnog, I'll do it all, and I will enjoy it all. But as we said back at our Thanksgiving meal, if you remember when we talked that evening, the holidays, they, they never live up to our expectations. Because they're not meant to fulfill in us what only Jesus can. And so sometimes we get so enamored with the holiday that we... We think it's going to fulfill something deep in us, and then we get disappointed because it can't do that. It's not meant to. It's meant to push us and and prod us towards Jesus. It's not meant to fulfill us in, in that way. There's always something missing at the holidays. And, and, and our modern understanding of commercialism, and, and what I, that cannot fulfill us as much as we want it to. There's no gift that we could get on Christmas morning that would fill us with unspeakable joy. But not only that, not only can this modern understanding of Christmas not satisfy us, but just as the world was waiting, think about the prophets talking about Jesus coming, right? they're waiting for this Messiah. We too are waiting, aren't we? We too are waiting for the return of Christ. Christmas reminds us not only that Jesus has come, but also that Jesus has left, and He is going to come again. The the first advent makes us look towards his second advent. Well, I, I see this in some ways in the words of Zechariah in, in Luke 1. So Zechariah was was made mute when he didn't believe the word of the angel that, that his wife would have a son. When John the Baptist is born. He praises God and, and he God opens his mouth to speak. And here's what he says in Luke 1 verse 68. all our days we read that and we realize that, that Jesus has purchased our salvation, there is reality that, that is there now, but also that there is glorification there is kingdom that is still to come that the, the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is coming and, and so there, we are satisfied with Jesus, but we are also filled with longing for him to return and make all things right. One way, I think, actually to encapsulate this is to think about the song Joy to the World. This is a triumphant song. Joy to the World, that the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. It's rejoicing that Jesus has come. But Isaac Watts, when he originally wrote the hymn, it was intended to be a celebration of the second coming. And in fact, somehow got hijacked and turned into a Christmas song. And it fits as a Christmas song. But it also fits as a celebration of Jesus' second coming. And so we we see in this song, we see the wonder of Christmas, of what Jesus has come to do, but we also are filled with a a longing for Jesus to return, so so that what it speaks about can actually be fully realized, so that the world actually would be filled with joy, that the earth would receive her king. Think about that in relation to the second coming, that all heaven and nature would sing. That the Savior would reign while men and women and fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains would repeat the sounding joy. That's coming still. That sins and sorrows would not grow and thorns would not infest the ground. That His blessings, that God's blessings, the blessings of His kingdom would flow from His cross and eliminate the curse wherever it is found. That He would rule with truth and grace so that the nations would would display the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. That that is inaugurated with the first coming of Jesus. It, but it is not fully realized yet. It's as good as done because Jesus has come, but but it is not done. So on Christmas Eve when you're filled with this this nostalgia and this love and this let it also push you to say there's more coming. Don't be satisfied just with what we have now, but that this there's this push. He has come and He is coming. He will come again and all things will be made right. And then finally on Christmas Day, let here's my thought. Let Christmas be a call to worship and praise. Let Christmas be a call to worship and praise. I think Christmas fundamentally, that's what it's about. It's about worship and it's about praise. Luke 1 has a song of Mary, a song of Zechariah. John the Baptist, still in his mother's womb, when Mary approaches and just speaks, John the Baptist in his mother's womb leaps because the mother of his Savior is talking. Angels show up, they ignite the sky, they shout glory to God. The shepherds run and they rejoice and they spread joy. Simeon and Anna, they are praising God. Back in in Matthew 1 or Matthew 2, the wise men come and what do they do? They bow in worship. Christmas is about humble adoration of God for sending salvation to us and it's also about Joyful praise to Jesus as the Savior of the world. Praise and thanks to God for the gift of of salvation. And so it's about praise and worship. I have to share something from a Christmas carol because it's just required on Christmas. Sunday, isn't it? But, but Scrooge wakes up. You remember this? He sees the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which I, I heard I ruined it for Jordan and Sarah. I had never seen that, and I shared that illustration. But now they have, so we're okay. Um, but the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come is there, right? And, and, and Scrooge thinks he's dead. He thinks he's dead. And he wakes up in his own room. And he totally loses it. If you've ever seen the movie, and in the book it, it talks about how he wakes up and he's, he's on his knees. And, and he, 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 he thanks the spirits, as it were. We don't have to go there. But he, he thanks them for revealing this truth. And he, he is humbled to his knees. But then he starts to rejoice. It says, this is how Dickens writes it. I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge. I am as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel, I am as merry as a schoolboy, I am as giddy as a drunken man. A merry Christmas to everyone, a happy new year to all the world. And maybe you have your favorite version of that in your mind. But he he goes wild with joy at the fact that he has life and he has been restored back to his his home and should not be this should not this be the same way that we respond to Christmas. I think that's what we see in all of these characters. It's 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 a call to worship and praise. It's a call to, to humble worship of God and exultant joyful praise of him. So here's a real practical application okay For Christmas morning I want to invite you to join with me and the first thing that we do when we get out of Christmas out of bed Christmas morning is to get on our knees like literally I mean literally so when you get out of bed Christmas morning get on your knees and worship God for what He has done. So, so we would get on our knees and we would join with the, the shepherds and the wise men. We would worship Jesus. Let's be, let's be overwhelmed by the beautiful mystery of the incarnation that God has become man so that He might die and rise again and save us. Let's, let's stare into the darkness and worship Jesus as the light of the world. Let's kneel in awe of Him as the God who can do all things a God for whom nothing is impossible. Let's worship Him as the King of kings, the Lord of lords who is coming again, the one who alone can satisfy us. And then stand up. So don't stay there all day. You know We've got things to do. It's Christmas morning. But stand up. And when you stand up, maybe stand and, and literally lift your hands in the air, okay? so we, we, we I, And I literally mean to do this, okay? You may even want to go outside and lift your face to the sky, or at least maybe do it by a window. But it's not just humble worship, but it's also this joyful, exultant praise and don't you don't care who else sees you you know if if it's your husband or your wife then tell them to join with you and lift your face and do this and and thank god that he has not left us in darkness he has he has not he has not remained silent jesus has come to save his people from their sins he's he's shown up so let's be aware of let's before we, we open any gifts let's thank god for the inexpressible indescribable gift of jesus and, and, and so after you have knelt <laughs> and after you have stood with your arms to the sky and Je- thank God for sending Jesus to be the Savior, then, then get anyone you can, anyone that's in the house, gather them together and, and make them sing, whether you're good singers or bad singers, right? This is what we have to do. That's what you do at Christmas is, is you sing. So you have to do this. Well, you don't have to, but I'm inviting you to do this. So we want to sing and we want to sing loud. to to God for what He has done for us. It should overflow from our hearts. So sing a song. In fact, let's sing the song on the back of your bulletin. So throughout Louisville and wherever we're at, on Christmas morning, let's all join together and sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. On the back of your bulletin, it's there. So here's your practice for Christmas morning. You've knelt, you've stood, now you've gathered all your family the teenagers are rebelling. They don't want to do it. But you make them do it anyways. And you stand wherever it might be and we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So let's stand together. Musicians are going to come and we're going to sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And then I will come and I'll close this with a benediction. But let's stand and sing to God for what He has done, for the miracle, for the beauty of what Christmas is.